This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult. But prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. Good evening, everybody, or daytime, or whatever everybody's doing. Morning, people generally drive to work. And today we have Ashlyn Rose, the wonderful Ashlyn Rose, on guesting today. Hello! Thank you, thank you for having me. Of course, this is you are. A, I think you're the first cosplayer we've ever had on this podcast. Unless... I have dressed up as Han Solo <laughs> at least at three different convention like things. Maybe. I, yeah, I've seen pictures on your Facebook. Plus, I like wear vests. We have pictures for this. <laughs> oh, there's definitely pictures. Alex, like he's probably more proud to post pictures of himself as Han Solo than like anyone I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> Speaking of which, I actually saw that I didn't know that that like 31 second international trailer for Star Wars Seven was out. Like, oh, with the Korea, with the yeah. where, like you see the army in the beginning, and there's like weird ATATs on the side. I, don't know. I swear to you, I can't think of a single other like like property that when I see a trailer for it or like something, I just my jaw drops and I stop as if like I, it's like I'm in a trance. I get so wrapped up in it. I love Star Wars so much. I I don't share that emotion. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Star Wars is for nerds. Yeah. Let's talk about some magical gathering. <laughs> Magic. Uh, so, uh. Tell us about yourself, Ashlyn. Tell the people that are listening about yourself. Talk about your magicness. Oh, goodness. Um, so I play magic. Uh, a lot of modern. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of modern. Um, I also stream it uh, for fun. Play not modern. I usually do a lot of limited play or crack uh, some packs on stream, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I can Occasionally dab in some uh, dressing up as planeswalkers from time to time. So when you open packs, like what's your method for pack opening? Do you do you like you like suspensefully flip through the cards until you get to the rare? Oh, of course. You gotta you gotta like slow roll it completely. Oh, I go man. I go all the way from commons to uncommons, then slowly reveal the top of the rare, and then look at the bottom a little bit. And then, <laughs> wow, that's suspenseful. Do you open old packs ever, or just newer ones? Oh, uh, yeah, I definitely, I opened, like, Innistrad not too long ago, some Innistrad packs, mm. and, uh, but mo- I've had, like, I've, like, cracked two Origins booster boxes already, so. Wow. It's a lot of fun. People love, yeah, people just adore that stuff, right? That's, like, it, it's a, it's a weird, it's some weird function of our, of our, like, voyeuristic mentalities in this world. We like to just, like, watch people do what they do. What was it, like, 55% of all videos on YouTube that were watched in the last year were openings of things? Yeah, it's wow. strange. Yeah. Which is insane. I've done one opening video and I've never released it because I found there's these like box mapping apps that are out there that you can get. And so we got a return to Ravnica box and we set the whole camera set up. It was the first time we we're going to do it. And I open it pack by pack and I call, sh- I shot call every single pack and I'm like wrong once. And it's the most boring video I've ever watched in my entire life. Because oh. there's no suspense. It's just like, all right, this is going to be a Steam Vents. It was a Steam Vents. <laughs> wow. It worked that well? Yeah, it worked perfectly. Like, it, it definitely was very successful. You Like, basically, you set the packs out on a grid, and then you open, like, the first five packs at random. And then, based off of what those first five are, the app j- then can, like, predict what the rest of the rares are going to be. To the extent of even knowing, like, the likelihood of a foil rare or a foil being in a pack. 
It is kind of remarkable that like that's a thing that's like common knowledge. The box mapping thing, like that's a thing people know about. There's also the thing about where you can weigh packs for for like you can feel if there's a foil based on oh, weight. Oh really? Both yeah, of those I've actually are, tried that. <laughs> yeah, so both are entirely true, which is kind of remarkable considering that like if that's the case, why do people want to still buy packs and how has that not been exposed and how has it not been changed? Well, I think that's why limited is so important to wizards. And we were getting on a little bit of a tangent, but that's why limited is so important to wizards because it it forces it's a way to have fun by opening packs that the value is not necessarily in just opening the pack. Sure, sure. Yeah. I think the other thing is it it's why it's so important to when you buy from a retailer to make sure you get from a uh, sealed box or at least like you know it's not just the box they keep throwing. Like I won't go to a random store and buy packs. Unless it's like a Target or a Walmart where they have that like special sealed box thing that's oh, like the best. You're like, oh my god, I found one. The right, most, the most extraneous amount of packaging that's ever been created in the history of the world. Yep. Let me wrap this. <laughs> let me wrap this one booster pack in like an action figure casing. Hey, that's how Walmart does. Yeah, Cause, sure. Because they care so much about the environment. So speaking of packs that will soon be open, let's talk a little bit of uh, Battle for Zendikar. Oh yeah. Uh, before we get to that, I do want to mention to all the people out there on the internet to follow us on Twitter. We are at the MMCast. We also have a sister podcast called The Command Zone. They do commander content. It's awesome. They like slinging 100 singleton decks, which A may know something about and Ben knows nothing about. <laughs> a little bit about it. <laughs> uh, beyond that, Battle for Zendikar. Battle we got, for... we got, so basically, Monday they spoiled the dual decks, and the dual decks generally have some amount of cards from the new set and are almost always themed around the set that's coming out, at least the summer dual deck. And this one I felt like had more than normal, and it wrote like four major mechanics that are coming out, including two returning mechanics. Yeah, some pretty weird stuff. Definitely, like, I, I am a big fan of Ingest. I think that's a cool mechanic. Which, for people that don't know, Ingest is when this creature does damage to a player, you exile the top card of their deck. Or is it it's a number, right? Like in just two? Or is it just in jest? I think it's just the one. It's just the top card, yeah. Okay, it's just the top. Mind so... you, that's important because, like, if you look at what the big Eldrazi do, and there's only one in the, the set in the dual deck that we've been spoiled so far, but basically it takes exiled cards and puts them into play. So the one that we've seen is a mythic that puts lands from the exile into play, all of them untapped. So, like, the ingest triggers you're getting throughout the game will heavily affect how those big spells kind of end up doing things. Which is super cool. Like that's I, I like I definitely like the the interplay there. It's interesting. It is interesting. I haven't there hasn't been a lot of magic history where like there's an entire zone of, of many, many, many exiled cards you're supposed to pay attention to for later in the game. Yeah. That's not a thing that's like very common. It's another zone that's having to be it's kind of actually, you know what it is? It's very similar to when suspend was a thing. And you would have cards off to the right or off to the left that were represented like that were relevant exile cards. They were exiled, but you knew that they were going to matter eventually, as opposed to like I exile your card with scavenging ooze, and now it's gone. Right. Um, it also plays with cards like scavenging ooze, yeah. which is very interesting. So that, that's cool. Um, I, I think it's a cool ability. It's complicated, but it's cool. Um, that's why I do think it's going to be major, mainly opponent stuff. Like they don't want you kind of comboing out somehow by like exiling your deck and then playing one of these to get all your lands into play and then playing another you know blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> sure sure yeah, yeah that's a deep hole that we can go down to eventually <laughs> um, but the other thing i do like how you know a lot of people wizards have said this a lot annihilator is not a fun mechanic for people <laughs> apparently what talking about <laughs> <laughs> which we will be talking about later today about how easy it is to win once you attack with something that has annihilator so this especially annihilator six <laughs> <laughs> i like i like how much it feels like Def uh, the filing might be the word, but like it, 
I feel like I'm losing something and you're taking it from me without right. the feeling of helplessness that comes with Annihilator. Well, there's definitely that whole feeling that was like, I mean, it's it's pretty classic in science fiction literature and then like Galactus and the Fantastic Four, the sort of world-eating feeling yeah. that comes along with sci-fi. Yeah. And the, the Eldrazi, they, they definitely have that... that uh, they definitely have that feeling of I'm eating your world. I'm... They're literally Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're wrecking Zendikar. Right. And and it does come with a bit of like, it has an infect feel to me. Yeah. Where like infect felt very visceral. And this, I feel like, and I haven't played with it yet because it, no one has, but right. I'm imagining it's going to have a similar visceral feeling of like, you're taking things from me in a way that you don't really experience in magic so far. Yeah, so the one card, we've only seen the one creature with ingest, right? It's like the three drop. Yeah, the, so we saw yes, two creatures. Drum. Both of them had Devoid also. Uh, I know Ben has some. Devoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's You're talking about the colorless color thing? Yeah. The ghost fire thing? Yes. Well, I mean, I think the reason they did it, I think the reason Devoid exists versus just saying this is colorless is the same reason they kind of fixed how indestructible and... Um, Unblockable, unblockable worked, yeah. and they did it in two different ways with both of the situations. But basically, there's enough things that affect keywords in those kind of situations that they felt like they just need everything like that to be a keyword or to not use keyword type technology and not just use like indestructible, which is just an English word. So they had to put this is now an ability, and devoid works kind of in the same way. I just think devoid, like, don't get me wrong, I think it's totally fine. I don't think that anything's going to crumble because of it. it's not like it's a bad mechanic. It's just that when I look at it and I read it and I'm like. I understand that this card is colorless because it says it has no color, but that doesn't make any sense. This is this is a black and red creature. Just and just because it says it has no color, it doesn't change the fact when I look at this. This like if I'm sorting by color in my deck, I have to put this off to the side. It just I don't know. It's it's hard for me to maybe maybe with Ghostfire it was easier to wrap my head around because it was a spell, not a permanent. But permanents that are colorless that have color in the casting cost. Like how are you going to play these cards in EDH decks? I'm sure you guys have talked about that. The rules have come out on that. Uh, Matt Tabak eventually, like, he was originally like, I'm not going to tell anyone the rules on these cards. And eventually was like, well, I have to tell people. So basically he said their color identity is still black. They are just in reference to all cards that affect color. So like Doomblade, not black. Wait, you're saying that they, their color is in reference to their mana symbol. Their color identity, yeah. which is only relevant in commander right is whatever their mana okay is. you said black referring to the one card the one that both the, have, that we've seen spoiler but there's a black, black red as well yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. um yeah. and for but for all game mattering effects so like doomblade or uh ugin for example whenever you cast a, a spell of this color they don't trigger yeah. exactly or yeah. destroy all colored permanents sure. like ugin or destroy target black creature or non-black creature like doomblade so doomblade can target this creature they're like cost reducers that are like black spells cost this much less won't well, affect them. Exactly. It's very confusing. It's there, very there's confusing. most likely going to be – my guess is because Annihilator was so wonky, they've put a lot of different ways to make the Eldrazi feel Eldrazi-ish, and this is one of them. And they're going to be a lot of like all my color per, colorless permanents get plus one, plus one, or blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Like I said, I don't think it's bad. It's not like I don't understand it. It's just like from a new player standpoint – it's hard. It's like a hard thing to look at and like. Yeah, really it's, make, it's a little confusing. Makes sense of yeah. Now the last one is awaken. Yeah, that's really cool. This is this is kind of a little bit of a play on fortify, right? It's, it's well, it's, it's fortifying kicker, I guess. Is kind of like yeah. I think this is the kicker mechanic. I think wizards and they've said this a thousand times. Thinks kicker is way too broad because yeah. if you really break it down, like almost every so mechanic ever is kicker. Right. And so this is their kind of like. Kicker's here, but we're making it Zendikar-themed, which means it's Kicker involving making lands into creatures. Yeah, it's sweet. And they're elementals, which is cool. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just like its own little thing because it's like a tribal thing um, a little bit. Anyway. I think it'll play out like Kicker does. It, if there are spells that are printed that without this ability on it would see play, this would make them heavily play, like staples. And if there's cards that would be on the line, this would maybe push them over the top to see standard play. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like a Doomblade or a Burn variant that could see play in our format. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was efficiently costed and like maybe it was like an extra two to turn a land into a bear. Like it seems like that's the sort of modern spell you'd see. Maybe a four. Like that's like the kind of if it was in the right colors, Jund would maybe play that. Like destroy your thing and get a two two out of it. Yeah, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So yeah, and then we get a uh, landfall and allies are back. We knew about allies already because Comic Con kind of announced that. You kind of love allies, don't you? Uh, no. I just <laughs> think that A, it's ridiculous that there's not a legendary ally. That's just silly. And B, I think it was dumb that there weren't just creatures with the ally type in Rise of Eldrazi. I think mm-hmm. that was bad design mistakes. I personally am not going to, like, sleeve up an ally deck as soon as in modern, as soon as lists are spoiled. You've suggested it before. Do you have any experience playing with allies yourself, Adam? Ashley. Oh, sorry. I thought you said Adam. I was like, wait, what? Uh, no, actually, I didn't play a lot with the, the allies. I did landfall. I definitely played quite a bit with landfall, but I didn't really mess around with allies too much. It, it's going to be really interesting to see how they, because landfall just, or at least in Zendikar block, leaned so much towards aggressive strategies because everything is free when you play a land. Mm. And Eldrazi leaned so much farther to the, like, wait until the last turn of the possible game to start actually doing things. Yeah. That, like, I'm going to be interested to see how they, like, balance those two very, very, very different leaning playstyles. Yeah, it's also interesting because, like, back then we also had really helpful, like, ramp, like, you know, Primeval Titan and stuff to kind of help along the Eldrazi. And right. we don't really see that type of thing now, so it's my lead into like longer games or like i don't know there is that one guy and i think he's like two dollars right now so i definitely recommend him as a spec but he's like it's two and a red and he has biorhythm attached to him for whatever and he taps for two colored mana he has biorhythm attached to him you're saying oh oh is he the he does he's the like thing? a mythic from dragons that like if yeah. there's eight power in total on your board you can tap it you can biorhythm which you know does a lot of winning but yeah I think he's a he's a card to look. There's like weird ramp that like isn't played right now, but like could see play if the point is to get Emrakul 2.0 into play. Landfall is <laughs> real real sweet though. Coming having it come back because okay, like some some people expect that the second set is gonna have the fetches, but a lot of people don't think that's the case. I don't um, think that's the case. So they don't like smelling. They they don't like putting their like flagship rares in into a second small set. sets like that. So if that's the case, that means if landfall's a thing, that they're going to need to stack the set with like lots of search things out and put them in play. It's search lands out and put them in play abilities. Um, that's going to be a thing that has to happen. Otherwise, For limited, yeah. Yeah, well, and just in general, like if you want your landfall cards to be powerful in standard, that's going to be a thing you want. Unless you make the landfall abilities themselves. Is- yeah, but if you yeah, make- they still There's a little bit of time, but I'm saying if you make the landfall abilities broadly powerful enough that you don't need to have like fetch abilities to make them good, they're just good when you play a land. Then in the formats where you have fetches, they'll be way overpowered. So you're going to need to like do Mm -hmm. something that searches out lands to make there be a payoff, Uh, which is great because I definitely like cards that search up lands. I think that's awesome. I think it's super fun. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be great. All right. So that's it for Zendikar. Ashley, do you have anything else on Zendikar actually before I move on? No, I'm just I'm just excited to see more spoilers. Like I want to see the Eldrazi. I want to see what they've done, where they're going with it. 
I know. I mean, I'm super. I, I actually got lucky and somehow wormed my way into a, a pass at PAX. So I'm actually going to go to the party and experience the greatness that is going to be that announcement. I'm really excited. And if any of you guys listening are there, look for me. Hmm. He'll be wearing a Han Solo costume. Now I have to do that, don't I? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> it could happen. I could see it happening. All right. <laughs> um, Battlefront's going to be there. So yeah. Yeah. There. There's like a Sweet. reason to do it. It's going to happen. All right. Build the pictures. Look for Han Solo packs. All right. Uh, cosplay. Or, yeah, I guess cosplay in general. So, Ashley, what is cosplay for those people on the internet that don't know what that is? What is cosplay? Cosplay is, I mean, just think about dressing up as a character that you really like in something. Like, I, I think it's entirely, it's a very broad, like, I don't know, topic, it's a broad, like, there's, everyone has a different view of what defines cosplay. For me, cosplay is just taking something that you love and finding a way to replicate that in a way that you find fun, like, whether that's making a Han Solo vest out of (laughs) duct tape or something, or if it's, like, you know, finding the exact type of fabric and stitching it together, like, whatever pleases you, as long as you have fun with it, and, yeah, that's what cosplay is for me. How did you how did you find out or get it like was it you just decided on your own were you a fan of cosplayers already before you got into it what was it I actually got into it like very recently like I'm still like I consider myself a baby still okay. um I went to my first convention uh fanime in uh, San Jose like 2 or 3 years ago I think like probably about 3 or 4 actually and I just went there to see what's up and I saw these people dressed up as, like, people from the animes I'd watched. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's Hinata or something like that. And I was like, I want to do this because, you know, as a kid, I always dressed up. I always dressed up my poor my poor pets. Like, I always found some type of baby doll clothes to throw on them. <laughs> <laughs> Trudging them through the house. So, yeah, I've always loved dressing up and doing things. And so when I discovered that, you know, this is a thing and it's people actually do this that aren't kids, it's like, this is awesome and I want to be a part of it. Yeah, it's definitely, it seems to be a pretty gigantic community. Um, there's like a lot of love for it and it just seems to be growing. What's, can you explain the difference between cosplayer and cause famous? Oh, okay. So cause, I, I don't know if there's real, I, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so cause famous are, are people who have been really well known for their cosplays. You know, it's, it's something like either they have a really big following or, you know, you see them like get hired for several events or, you know, they're just generally known to the community and more so than that, outside of the community, they're known for cosplaying. That would probably be what my definition of that would be. Who is the biggest cosplayer out there? Like, is there, a, is there like one that's like the, the girl, I suppose? Andy Serkis. <laughs> <laughs> there, I wouldn't say there's one. There, there's a lot out there. I, I would say for the U.S., there's a couple big names that are thrown around. It depends on what you're, what you like too. Like, if you like more, uh, perfect. Like, I wouldn't say perfect. More original. Like, you know, you take your own uh, liberties when you're making the outfits. Like, you know, you use a different cloth with a different pattern, maybe or something. Uh, Kamui is really well known for her armor making. Like she, she was the one who kind of introduced Warblood to the community, or was the one really well known for it. She's a great person actually to hit up and check out if you want to get into like armor making. Okay. What was, her, that. what was her name uh, again? Kamui Cosplay. Um. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think my favorite type of cosplay in general is the like combination of things or taking an original spin on a character you like. Like, I think the yeah. first one I ever saw that I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life was. 
a like samurai stormtrooper at like the first comic con I ever went to, and it was like how how don't I own that in my life? <laughs> <laughs> um, George Lucas, take notice. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think there's definitely a lot, and I do think it's hard to say there's one most famous, just because yeah. it's so much genre specific. Like all geekdom, like there's the most famous magic cosplayer, there's the most famous Dragon Ball Z cosplayer, right, there's right. The most, yeah. You know, like there's so many different things that people like that if you're cosplaying as Naruto, for example, you know if I don't like Naruto or someone doesn't like Naruto, they're not going to care about that cosplayer. But every single person who likes that subject matter is going to be in love with what they're doing. There has to be somebody though, like when you go to the biggest, the biggest conventions, like that just they've the sort of they've done everything, they've done all the genres, and they have like a booth, and they're like not even really dressed up, they're just like sitting there signing autographs. That's got to be a thing, right? I, it, it is becoming more of a thing. You're you're gonna see a couple people with booths and whatnot. Um, some of the big names that are out there right now are definitely gonna be like Yaya Han, uh, Jessica Negri. Um, who else do we have? Lightning cosplay. She's she's really cool too. There's there's several male cosplays out there that actually kind of get brushed under the rug. You know, a lot of times they 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 get forgotten about, but there's some pretty dope uh, male cosplayers as well that have put together some really cool. So cosplays. I know Chloe Dykstra sometimes dresses up. I've got a bit of a yeah. crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> she's adorable. Yeah, she's smart and funny and attractive and good at cosplaying. So she's got it all figured out. Perfect package. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the favorite cosplay characters you have cosplayed as, Ashlyn? Um, my favorite cosplays would probably have to be my uh, Diablo Three Witch Doctor for BlizzCon. That that one was that was so much fun to cosplay as. I think it was solely because of the fact that I had like a giant head mask on, hmm. where I, like I couldn't see anything. I had these giant horns that someone had to like walk me through the giant hall because I was like knocking people left and right. <laughs> <laughs> like sorry. But it was just a lot of fun to cosplay as. Do the, does it like take a long, long, long time sometimes to get your costumes together? Like, I mean, I know, I know, like, uh, I, I've seen some pictures of you, so it looks pretty <laughs> elaborate. Some of the costumes, like, do they take a huge amount of preparation? Oh yes, yes. Kind of, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny though because I would say I, I think it's fair to say for the general community, for those of us that are less disciplined, uh, procrastination is probably the uh, biggest and it's probably the bane of my existence to put it nicely um it just it, it takes a lot of time and most of the time you don't give yourself enough time so it's like you know the night before and you're like oh my god i have to glue all this together now that that's and- actually sounds a lot like magic players before tournaments that sounds <laughs> the same experience we have uh getting getting ready well i guess you oh, that, as well that gp is in six months i don't <laughs> need to worry about that oh that gp is i need a jack test like yeah. let's that's tomorrow. <laughs> if the if it just I mean we'll yes. shout we'll shout you out again at the end. But for the folks who are listening right now, if they want to like pull you up on Instagram, what's your Instagram? Uh, rar, it's Ashlyn. So rar is in like R A W R. Rar. Rar A R W R, and it's Ashlyn. It's Ashlyn. Yes, all one word. All right, guys, look her up. <laughs> All right, so I guess bringing it back to magic, since this is a magic podcast, what type of characters have you dressed up as magic wise? Magic-wise, I haven't done too many yet. I've done a Sora, the uh, female version of Sorin cosplay, which was really fun. Uh, got to walk around with, some vamp- with vampire teeth, and it's great. Uh, plus, Sorin's awesome. Oh, yeah? Okay. Is Sorin your favorite planeswalker? Sorin is my favorite planeswalker. I, I, 
he he's my boy. I feel I feel bad for him because you know he had all that stuff to deal with with Zendikar. Like he's been through a lot. Like you would think he's a bad guy because people show, associate vampires with like the villain, but he's he's pre- he's actually not that bad of a guy. Do you have a soft spot for vampires in general? <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. I once played a character on a web series that Alex was the creator and producer of where I pretended to be a vampire to pick up chicks. That was my character. His name was Fatal. Um, and there's he was, actually... He was a villain. <laughs> I was a villain. And there was a token made of my character because it was a show about magic cards that uh, we have in studio here that I'm very proud to have been a part of. So there you go. I have I'll experience have dressing up too. Yeah. If, uh, if someone wanted to get into cosplay, what are kind of the best ways to get started? What's the best resources? Where are good places to look up information, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? We are really lucky nowadays because, like, Google is a godsend. Like, there's so much you can really find online now that you couldn't, like, back in the day. Like, I didn't cause it like the, back then, but some of my friends didn't. They're like, it was so hard. But Google is really your best friend here. Just anything you want to figure out, just type it in and put cosplay at the end of it or tutorial at the end of it, and you can find a lot of stuff. So Google and DeviantArt is another good place to find a lot of good tutorials. There's also the Popcorn Talk Network has a show called Cosplay Coach that they launched recently that is oh, all nice. about that sort of thing. Ew. Look at that. And Look at the guy who said he didn't know anything about cosplay. Well, I happen to work cosplay. for the Popcorn Talk Network and do content. I just, I, you know, it's on the same channel. That was a so. plug. Well, I mean, it's, I, I know it's called Cosplay Coach. I can't actually promise I have any idea what it's about, but I'm assuming by the title that it's exactly what it sounds like. So there you go. Fair enough. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> knowledge uh let's let's talk i want to quickly talk oh. to you about like, we're going to get into obviously modern magic and, and tron and everything like that but i do want to find out so you uh you play magic you said modern and, and some casual uh when did you start playing magic i mean how, how long ago did you start playing i started playing about six years ago so i, I played like m10 and i i definitely came in around zendikar and stuff okay sweet so you like right that's like that's like new world order when they changed the game and that's yeah. kind of the phase we're in now that's kind of where I came back. I like played back in Tempest through like Stronghold and yeah. Urza's block, etc. But then left during Combo Winter and came back during M10 because that's my magic like story that everyone knows already because this is the podcast that I'm on. All right, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was so like? What do you? I mean, we're going to talk about the deck that you play in Modern, but like historically, what's been your favorite kind of magic? Are you like blue? Do you like to draw cards? Are you like a burn player? So. I started out like as like a white weenie player. Sure. Yeah, you know, just just getting in, being safe and stuff. I actually hated red. Like hated it. Like I was like, if you're a red player, you just whatever. Like red, so cheap. I still, feel, I, I still feel that way for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Jimmy. Shots fired. <laughs> but then I went over to the dark side, and I'm I I love red. <laughs> I love <laughs> burn burn faces. It's great. I'm like with that player that I love. This is we talked to Patrick Chapin last week, and he basically was like, "You get to play blue for these cards and black for these cards, and red has the card lightning bolt." And it's like that, that's basically how I feel. It's like I'll play red as like a supplemental color because I love to burn people in the face after I've gotten their life total low. So like, tempo decks with red in them are my favorite thing ever. But like that's where I that's where I draw the line. I won't, I won't play a straight burn deck. I feel like you'd play like a monastery mentor. If I would, Mister Tempo player. You'd throw that in there and just like sit back, do some. Prowessing into you're talking about Swift Spear. Yeah, what did I say? You said Monster Mentor. Mentor. Oh, I, meant, I 100 <laughs> meant Swift Spear. No, I mean I would play Swift Spear maybe, except like it it's does like it's not Delver of Secrets kind of, but it's not evasive and it's not like a wizard, like it's uh, it's right? A, it's it's a, monk. a monk. Yeah, yeah. 
if I'm gonna play a one drop and it's in like it's gonna be like flying, this is where we're just uber nerds. Like, like I have moments every once in a while where I'm like, you know, I play magic, but I'm not like that big of a nerd. I'm like I'm a nerd, but I'm, then like we I listen to myself having a conversation where I'm like, it's not a wizard, it's a monk, <laughs> uh, and I only play supplemental red spells. It's like oh, I'm a huge dork. Like uh, there's a life size C3PO sitting behind you, so that's actually well, that's, that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so. Let's talk a little bit of Tron. Uh, so, was this the deck you started Modern with, or did you did you pick it up recently? So, tying into my background, actually, of getting into Magic. So, back in the day, um, I played, for Standard, Eldrazi Green. Eldrazi Green was my deck. I loved it. It was, like, my baby. I cried when it went away and grew up. And uh, so, when I got into Modern, I was like, oh, I can play Eldrazi Green again. And played that for a little bit i was like uh there's the, and then we i discovered tron it's like oh this is a lot faster and it's it's pretty much like eldrazi green and it kind of like i slowly moved over to tron like i still kept my prime times for a while and then finally let them go and like full hauled over it's, it's a sweet deck i mean no doubt about it and like i mean just like there is a thing about primeval titan right like i, I get what you're saying because it's like it's really really hard to think about not playing that card if you're used to playing yeah. it. It's so uniquely powerful. It is. It's so good uh, and has been so good for so long. Like, what, I mean, what's the closest thing to primetime that we've ever seen in terms of just, like, does that much? One of the I other think... Titans, maybe? I don't know. Necropotence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emrakul. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. And it's at six. But, I mean, any, anyways, we, we, we digress. Um, so, Tron, so you, and you play red-green Tron, largely? Yes. Red, red, green, Tron. Yep, pretty much. Have you messed around with the other ones at all? I haven't. I, I've played against them, but I just, I, they're not my cup of tea. They're, they're obviously fun decks, but I'm honestly not that much of a blue player. I tend to overthink things with blue, so that's why I stick with like red or anything, anything not blue. <laughs> you just like to see the world burn a little bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Just, just burn and run over with giant Aldrazis. There's also that black Tron deck people have been talking about recently. I've seen, I've seen some of those lists. Seems kind of cool. I mean, you can basically play Tron. Like, you can you can get away with playing yeah. Tron with any color. I mean, like the basis yeah. of Tron is colorless. So <laughs> yeah, add any color you want in there. You just can't really play more than two colors because yeah, you have yeah. twelve colorless lands in your deck <laughs> at minimum. There's also Gifts Tron and there's Teachings Tron. I mean, there's a lot of different yeah. versions that are that are pretty cool. Actually, total like total tangent, still Magic related and still Modern related. But okay. I did see a a deck list the other day. Speaking of like being able to play any colors. I don't know if either one of you guys have ever seen this, but it's a uh, a Zur Doran deck. Right, I know. Right, sounds nuts. Black. It plays five color. Right, uh, you'd have to be. And it plays like seven of the sweetest, seven of the sweetest enchantments that you can play that are all like kind of utility. Like has like two detention spheres. It has a blood moon, just one, just so you can search sure. it with Zur if you want to win on the spot if you if you can. It has like one courser of Crufix. It has like like really weird deck, um, but it looked awesome and like you, God, you like attack. Oh, it has the one assault formation, the enchantment version of Doran. So you like attack with Zur uh, if you don't have a okay. Doran, and you like pull the assault formation. Now your Zur is a four four flyer. Is it, it was really cool. I saw it didn't win any games, but I saw it. Looked <laughs> <laughs> fun. Its mana base didn't work at all, and it didn't kill a player once, and it, I don't think it ever worked. But it looked cool. <laughs> it was like an SCG yeah. video, and like here's like this is what I thought was weird about it. Like I watched two of the games, right, and they, they didn't win either. And the thing that was strange was they decided the matchup was going to be that versus eight rack. 
I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Why would I want to watch a five color deck that's like mana hungry play against a smallpox deck? Like this is these are these are rogue decks. Right. Like let's put this up against a deck that is at least kind of fun to see it work against. It's like game on. He's like, search for my land, get colors two and three. He's like, smallpox. Ah. So, All right, guys. Enough about weird decks. It's time to actually talk about what we came here to talk about. That is Tron. Ashland, we're about to go to Ash the Eldrazi planet. So why don't we talk about what Tron's trying to do? All right, so Tron basically wants to ramp up as fast as possible to get the biggest creatures or planeswalkers out, preferably Eldrazi or some kind of colorless dude that wrecks face as soon as it gets on the board or the next turn. Like Karn. Or Wormquail yes. Engine. Or what's uh, Ugin? Ugin. Him. Ugin. Yeah, or uh, what's that one? Emra. Emra Cool. Oh, yeah. He's sweet. Not not Amiria uh, Trickster or Amiria. Is that a thing? No, that's Cozy's Trickster. All right, let's continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so with, with Tron, when they printed Ugin, were you already a Tron player? Yes. Were you pretty excited when you read Ugin? Yes, I was actually really excited. I, I really like Ugin. Ugin's ridiculous especially in tron um he's just so strong like what was interesting to me about ugin and this is purely off of playing against the deck but both ugin like already the deck had this crazy amount of inevitability like there was something about emrakul that just eventually this deck is going to win so you have to kill it first and ugin just like made that plan so much more strong based off the fact that a it's a board wipe that also adds another level of inevitability so it really just handles everything that's coming at you and it's plus lightning bolt are you kidding me yeah. what <laughs> yeah it's plus lightning lightning bolt and it basically just as soon as you get him on the board it, it just helps secure that inevitability of either you're gonna die by ugin or i'm gonna i'm gonna cast him cool and i'm gonna have time to do it now do you have a favorite tron moment that you've ever had as a tron player um, favorite Tron moment? Ah, there's been so many. <laughs> um, probably having that perfect hand, like the perfect winning hand. I think I posted it on Instagram, but like just drawing seven cards, having Tron and Karn in your hand, you're just like, I, I think I'll keep. Well, I I've always kind of said this, and I may have mentioned we've done a Tron deck tech once before, but it was way back in the uh, Jeskai Ascendancy uh, Treasure Cruise days. Um, but. Karn is kind of just Liliana on steroids. Like, Liliana is already one of the best cards in the format, and it's a turn three. Either my opponent discards every turn with me, or I can kill a creature. And Karn is only my opponent discards forever with no advantage based off of it. Plus, I can exile anything that they try playing, and he's impossible to kill on turn three. Good luck. GG. Yeah. Let's just play another game. <laughs> yeah, and he can make you play another game, but he plays with your stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the literal let's play another game. <laughs> There's definitely something very powerful about decks where, like I've done the thing before where you're like, okay, you build your deck knowing that Tron's a thing, so you have Ghost Quarters main deck. And you're like, yeah. okay, I'm going to go down to land right now, but I'm going to hit their Tron piece, and I have something pretty decent in my hand, so I'll be okay. And you like Ghost Quarter their land, and then they just like natural that piece. And you're just yeah. like, God, what you're doing is so powerful. Like, when you get lucky, it's not like you get lucky and draw a lightning bolt. It's like you get lucky and draw that third land that just plays Ugin. It's like, what? Yeah, it feels so good when you top deck that, too. Like, after having one, like, if they're like, I'll destroy your plant. And then you, like, you pull the top card and you're like, power plant. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's kind of part of it. Like, something they're really taking into consideration is, is Tron is filled with, 
tutors. Like, it's one of the decks that yeah. Ava Mind Center is really important against if you're playing that card because so many of the cards in the deck are let me search for the land pieces that I need to just make my game plan happen. While yeah. most players are playing Tarmogoyfs in their first two turns, Tron is playing ways to tutor their three lands so that on that turn three, they can play the Karns, Warm Coil Engines, and Eldrazi eventuality. Yeah, and then you just like exile the Tarmogoyf, so problem solved. <laughs> Fair enough. Why is that card on? Yeah, Karns should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, what are some important things to keep in mind when playing the deck? When playing it? I think when you're actually playing Tron, it's important to you. I think it, I think it's safe to say for any deck in general, but know the other decks in the format, especially against when you're playing Tron, because you can be like if you don't have it by turn three or four, there's a couple matchups where you like you're gonna lose by turn like four or five, and you need to be able to be prepared so that you can kind of get your way into where you need to go with Tron when you're in those matchups. Uh, don't get blindsided by planeswalkers <laughs> in your hands. Um, you know, you definitely want to keep in mind that you want you want as much ways to get the lands you need as fast as possible in your hand because there are other ways to draw the the inevitability that you need. Like you want to make sure you have all the tutors in hand or a way to get what you need so that you can cast a Well, and that's that's one of the strengths, I guess, of Eye of Ugin, where like yeah. you have so many ways to tutor lands out, and once you get the pieces you need, you can start tutoring for Ivugan, which then lets you tutor out any of the Eldrazi in the deck. Yeah, and Warm Coil. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so when you when you bring this deck to a tournament, what do you want to play against? What don't you want to play against? Uh, what well, I I don't want to play against Twin. It's a little faster I than you, right? It, it's so much faster, and it, it, it's literally just a race. Like, there are sideboards that you can bring in which help, but it's still, like, every turn you're like, are you going to go off? Are you Gosh, dogs. <laughs> you're like, you just, you don't know, and it, it's just a race with them, and it's frustrating. Hey. Um, what's the matchup you want to play the most? Matchup, uh, Jund. Jund junk, like, all day. It's totally fine. Uh, and any type of, like, not particularly burn just because it's so fast but any type of just like mid-range red decks okay the, too. the fair decks for the most yeah because yeah. <laughs> you're doing something that's unfair if, if if they can kill you randomly out of left field or just in one turn that's when tron would generally probably have a pro problem with the deck but any deck that's trying to like attack you regularly and just kind of one for one you is going to run into much more difficulty against tron yeah so let's do the gauntlet a little bit. Let's talk about, well, do you want to check the deck list or the gauntlet first, Kissler? Uh, before we get into the gauntlet, I do want to say, since we've done the story, what kind of new cards came out of Khan's block for the deck? Other than maybe just Ugin? Or is it was it just Ugin and Ugin's came deck? Came out of Khan's? I think it might just be Ugin. At least from my deck. Is there any sideboard stuff, maybe? Probably not, I mean, right? No. Hangerback so. Walker. Gonna start walking back. The card's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the gauntlets. Let's, let's get into the gauntlet. Would Hangerback Walker actually be a card that, like, there's a chance could get C play in Tron? I guess it might, right? So it's, it's colorless. It's big mana. Like, I guess I guess my question would be if Hangerback Walker would be C play in the deck, and Ashlyn, correct me if I'm wrong, but there'd have to be a matchup it's good against that Tron yeah. has a problem against. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's – because Tron's not like, oh, board wipes – they're a problem because Tron is the board wipes. They have, yeah. Like I think I think at this point they run over ten board wipes, between Pyroclasm, uh, the artifact that kills everything, and Ugin. 
Oblivion yeah, Stone. Oblivion Stone, yeah. That's that's a lot of board wipes for worrying about other people's board wipes. Yeah. Agreed. And like I mean hangerback or hangerback maybe for sideboard, but if you really think about it, like you yeah, you can have a bunch of mana to cast him, but at the same time you could be casting something else that's gonna do a lot more for you. Right, you already got warm coil. Yeah. I think maybe if it becomes a format that like you need some type of early aggressive threat, maybe. Yeah. As like a one one? I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't see it happening. Do you have a favorite magic card of all time, Ashlyn? Favorite magic card of all time. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it's prime time. Yeah, it's so sweet. <laughs> so why aren't you why aren't you on the amulet bloom train or just <laughs> I am not on the amulet yeah, yeah. I am not on the amulet bloom train because I would royally probably mess it up. I don't think I could actually play it. It's just because you have to play it like you have to lay your lands down right or else you kind of like lose to yourself. Right. The the few times I've played tested with the deck, it's always been like I would never want to take this to a tournament just because <laughs> I'm going to lose more than my opponents are going to right. win. Yeah, you have to kind of be just like a genius to be good at that deck. It, the like sequencing of lands and the correct lands to grab at the correct time is literally the only thing that keeps you from winning. It's very complex when it comes to that. It's it's a game against yourself in that matter. Which, like, you know, eggs was kind of like that way, and I do know that, like, those are the type of decks that just you can solitaire to eventually get good enough at playing. Yeah. Um, for me, the best place for me to solitaire is on my phone, on, an, on Decked, and it was a nightmare when I tried doing it on <laughs> yeah. that because it's like, I have to return a land to my hand and then tutor, and then it's a... Uh, 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 yeah, uh, I, I had a very I'm similar tired experience. thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, let's get to the gauntlet. Uh, you already mentioned black green decks. Decks. What about uh, the hyper aggressive affinity? How do, how is kind of what is Tron's game plan against that kind of deck? I, I feel like it's definitely like game one's rough, just because affinity is colorless and Ugin can't hit affinity. Like people have tried that. It's like Ugin can't do colorless wipes. Right. Um, but I think after sideboard, it's not too bad. Like. There's, we have artifact removal and uh, oblivion stone. I actually have a, what is it called? I think it's perilous vault. Right. Yeah, that's the standard card, the yeah, standard yeah. wipe, right? Yeah, this, that one exiles everything instead of going into uh, the graveyard. Okay. That's relevant, yeah. Um, so that helps quite a bit with that so that they can't bring stuff back. Um, but yeah, I haven't played against it much. Fair enough. And uh, last but not least, because we already talked about Splinter Twin, uh, Amulet Vigor, the other big mana deck of the format. The other unfair <laughs> yeah. deck of the format. That one's the so... Only. <laughs> I, that one's hard. Like, it's either they win or they don't win, I feel like. I don't know. I, I There's only one person at our shop who plays it, and I didn't go up against it much at um, Vegas, but I, I, I think you, you can sideboard in slaughter games and hope they don't win, but like by the time you can cast slaughter games, they should have won, so... I, it's hard. Right. I feel like the best the best plan of attack here is really comes down to Karn coming down early, just yeah. because then you can start exiling their lands and keeping them off of it. But that involves them not winning on turn three. Exactly. So it's definitely I I I would say yeah. You just have to hope it gets banned. <laughs> Ghost I, saw, yeah. I saw that crazy matchup though. It was at one of the modern tournaments recently where Hain I think. Don't quote me on this because I feel like it, I could be misremembering it, but I feel like it was Hain playing Bloom, somebody else playing Tron. They resolved Karn. They started exiling his lands, and he still was able to, like, summer Bloom into enough lands to play Hive Mind and win. 
and it was like one of those things where you're just like, how did that happen? Like, it's yeah. so unfair. Like, you just exiled three of your lands in a row, and you still managed to win. It's ridiculous. Yeah, something crazy. Anyway. Yeah, uh, the bloom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, think it'll get banned. I think it's just going to stay as, like, a borderline. Well, yeah, like, like you know, it, it's high chance still. Like you said, like, it's a game, like, you have to play it right or else you're just going to lose to yourself. The Goryeo's Vengeance deck, though I've heard less about it recently, seemed, when I saw it, seemed more unfair. Yeah, I've, I've played a, a lot of games, actually, against that deck, and every single time, I'm like, this is... Yeah. the inevit- Because it, <laughs> do- it there's just, I don't know how to beat that deck. I Yeah, it seems just seems completely unfair. Splinter Twin? It sounds, I think it's Splinter Twin. Oh. I think the way to beat that deck is just comboing them out and winning before they do. Faster, <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, yep. I was gonna say, there's also the uh, the living tw- the living twin twinning end, right? twinning end. Yes, there. Yeah, either or. That one, that is like the bane of my Tron existence. Just, just because there's like there's no way to really interact with them. That's would you say that's your worst matchup? Uh, yeah, I think so. For for me personally, at least. I mean, it's gotten better now that I've added surgical extraction to my sideboard. Okay. Um, but. It, it's just the Fulminator. Like, Fulminator Mage is so good and horrible at the same time. Yeah, it's very good against you, that's for sure. Yeah, it just wrecks. And when it, like, can come back and you can twin it, it's just, it hurts. <laughs> so, uh, for people out there on the internet, we were originally going to do all of the Trons for the deck tech, but because we've had some recording issues, I want to make sure we get towards the ending of everything. And so we will be doing a Mono Blue Tron deck tech separately at a point very nearby in the future. Sure. Yep, we had somebody ask about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so excellent. Thank you for answering all of our questions about Tron. Um, <laughs> we have a bit of a rapid fire for you. Oh, boy. Um, we're going to give you 60 seconds to answer 10-ish questions. Um, sure. If you'll take the challenge. That's 600 seconds. Oh, man. I- I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that was okay. that first one. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to count from down from three, and we're going to go. Okay. Are you ready? Three, two, one, boom. Last person you texted. I don't even know. Uh, my mom. All right, all right. Uh, favorite breakfast cereal? Uh, cookie cookie Crisp. Uh, least favorite magic card? Uh, Fallen Intermage. Favorite Star Wars character? Star Wars character? Um, probably one of the Ewoks. Just the Ewok and Ewoks in general. Do you play any other games than just Magic? Yes, I play tons of MMORPGs, RPGs in general, and RPGs some more. Dream car. Dream car. Uh, probably. I guess from when I was a kid, probably Lamborghini. We would have accepted I, X-wing. We would have, <laughs> would have accepted X-wing. No, no, no. <laughs> and what country do you want to retire in? Ooh. Uh, probably either Japan or the Philippines. All right. Good answer. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get into the wrap up, I do want to ask you and the people on Twitter, uh, what new mechanic are you most excited about ba- from Battle for Zendikar? What of all the new stuff coming up, what are you most excited for? I think for me personally, I'm most excited for new mechanic wise. I'm, I'm like, you know, Awaken. I want to see what I can do with it. And, uh, just in general, landfall. I really like landfall, and it was a lot of fun. So I, I can't wait to do broken things with it again. Awesome. All right. Well, I do want to thank you for coming on, uh, Ashlyn. Uh, can you let everyone on the internet where the best place to find you on the internet? 
since that's where the they're best, at. The best place, probably Twitter, Facebook, or my stream, uh, twitch.tv slash Ashlyn underscore Rose. Uh, Twitter is at Miss or at Ashlyn Rose, and Facebook is going to be Miss dot Ashlyn Rose. Very Wonderful. good. Uh, and Ryan, everyone, we are at the MM Cast on Twitter. Please follow us. We will tweet at you and tweet with us. And uh, I am at Kess Wiley. And I'm at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and sometimes on Instagram. Uh, make sure to rate us on iTunes. It's important because then we get more followers that then will tweet at us and we'll tweet back at them. And then you have people to converse with and the community grows together. And a huge thank you to all of those that have been doing it already because you guys have just really been fantastic recently. Um, and uh, remind you, follow the Command Zone. Go check them out. They are also on RocketJump.com. They do awesome commander content. There's like generals flying at each other. They do good strategy. If you guys are only modern players, they do have a few episodes that are very much more on like good play habits. So they're also a good place to go to just to get kind of better at magic. And, you know, they're great guys. They're really interesting. Um, and thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>